You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by STS Steel Targets, premium shooting targets and accessories. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number two. I'm Rusty and with me tonight is Greg. G'day, Greg. How you going, Sam? Good, mate. And uh, Andrew over here. How are you, Andrew? Yeah, really good, Sam. How are you? Fantastic. Good, mate. Good. How was everyone's couple of weeks been? Yeah, not too bad. Did a little bit of shooting last weekend and had a newer shooter out. Had him shooting sort of 800 metres, so he was pretty happy. And yeah. yeah, good. Fantastic. That's the way you want to go. What about you, Greg? Yeah, no, I was lucky enough to go on a bit of a uh, trip into central New South Wales, just uh, chasing some ferals out there. So, um, no, fantastic trip. Uh, only ruined by my return to uh, to the city. To come back and see us. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. So it's our fault. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, I've I've got no good stories compared to um, what you guys have just said. I, I think I went shooting a little bit, but nothing quite as enjoyable as what you guys did, so... Uh, but I did buy a borescope from Lyman, new new Lyman borescope, and I managed to get it dirty really quickly. Uh, that'll teach me a couple of things about cleaning barrels out before looking how dirty they are. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'm pretty uh, pretty impressed with that. We put it down a uh, Ruger American little cheap 22, and um, pretty sure I won't be buying one of them after seeing the barrel on one of them. But uh, anyway, that's been uh, my latest acquisition. Get me amused. And Greg, we, we're obviously going to talk a little bit more about your uh, cartridge decisions. You spent a bit of time on that while you are away? Yeah, I, um, I, I crunched a few numbers okay. and um, we'll talk about them a bit later. Um, now you've got a re- retraction to make. Yeah, I do. Yep. I do. I, um, I referred in the last episode, I referred to it as dead space that I was calculating. That's completely wrong. It's actually uh, danger space. Danger so, space. So um, Sounds much, but, well, yeah, is it much was, better. It's a little bit better. Well, it's right, so that's better. Um, now I jumped back in the the good book, and I was having a bit of a read, and and you know I thought, oh, whoops, I uh, made an error there. So wherever I refer to dead space in the last episode, I actually mean danger space. So at least you're man enough to admit your mistakes. That's the main thing. Yes, that's true. But the the concept of what you were saying and and the the information there is is correct. It's just the name you had wrong. I guess we just have to clarify that. Yeah, that's right, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, anyone got anything they want to bring up in this episode? Yeah, I think uh, in sort of keeping with, you know, keeping track of the Precision Rifle blog, um, we're going to have a look at at uh, what actions are sort of predominantly being used. That's uh, that's where we wanted to have a look at, I think, first. So, yeah, so that's the that's a survey from the Precision Rifle series in the US we referred to last week, uh, last episode. Um, and in that one, they talked about cartridges, which set off us on the discussion with Greg's new cartridge. And this, um, in this last week, they've released a new a new one. What's that one, Greg? Um, yeah, basically this this uh, blog they've put up it covers the uh, top precision rifle actions used in the uh, precision rifle series uh, in the US. And uh, basically, over the last well four years. Four years they've been collecting all the information about all the different competitors' rifles, and uh, what they go through is they go through and summarise, uh, you know, the actions of the top fifty shooters and the actions of the top hundred shooters, and you can see what what you know the 
the pros are using basically so you get a good um, feel for where um, you know people are leaning in terms of actions and and then there's some explanation against each of those key actions on on possibly why they're, they're choosing those actions over other actions so, so what, what's our top four our what top have we got there? four sorry I'll just get back to there um, top four we've got defiance uh, surgeon a- accuracy international and stiller are the top four in the top 100 shooters um, so they're the, the they're the standouts um, the defiance has got 40 40 percent of the top 100 shooters yeah, so that's that, heaps that's yeah. a big standout right there that's mm. that's huge really yeah, yeah and, to have 40 percent of the market that's, yeah uh, and and surgeon is sitting at 22 percent um yeah. with a a clear second like they're half half defiance but they're still well ahead of a- accuracy international at 11 percent and then stiller at eight percent yeah i guess ai and stiller make up just under twenty percent. So just to put that in terms of the whole lot, that's yeah, not a not a yeah, quite a significant uh, amount with the defiance and surgeon. Have you guys had any experience with either of those actions? Um, not with the defiance, Sam. I haven't. No, but surgeon and and uh, AI rifles, I have. Um, but to me, I guess what's surprising is there's no sort of uh, I guess reworked factory actions in there, particularly Remingtons, um, which I think have been a you know, a basis for, for custom rifle builds for years, and, and now we, there's none, none in there at all. Yeah, well, this, this I guess, uh, does show, just to run through some other uh, quick names, the Kelbys, Bighorn, Badgers, Desert Tech, Impact Precision, Bat, Gap, and Hawkill Custom. Um, a lot of those we, we wouldn't probably see over here in Australia quite so much. Um, but you're, you're right, there's nothing really... Look, there is factory guns there in terms of surgeon would be... A factory gun per se, probably. A, a yep. Desert Tech and Accuracy International. Um, there may be others that I'm not not familiar with. All of those uh, particular yeah. brands. You, you've got something there, Greg. Yeah, yeah. I'll just add um, in the actions of the top fifty. Oh, actually, yeah. Sorry, uh, t- there was ten percent Remington seven hundred actions last the top year. Fifty last year, and then there's zero. This yeah. year, so you know they had a reasonable representation um, on the previous year, but then just completely dropped away. Do you, you got, I guess one thing to take into account that this that that figure there is just based on the top fifty, whereas the the ones we read out before is top hundred. Mm-hmm. There is several hundred, if not four five hundred, probably in total, uh, competitors in this game. So they're skimming off the top hundred, who are obviously the most competitive, um, and. Uh, so I guess if we looked at the top two or three hundred, perhaps there'd be a lot more factory options for those guys who are just getting into it, and new with it, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so perhaps they're fairly well represented, but not in the guys who are actually really competitive with it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you look at a at a Remington seven hundred. It, uh, it certainly can be built into a, a first rate rifle, but uh, I think with that much competition, particularly U.S. offerings, the cost factor. Um, you know, you could build a Remington action rifle that would compete with these other ones. However, the cost would make it not worth the, the, the hassle. Yeah, you, you can just go mm. and buy a Defiance or a Surgeon off the shelf and, and have all those features right there and not have to worry about reworking mm. it. Yeah. So just, I guess, from my perspective, I haven't, you know, got a lot of dealings with different actions myself. What, what makes these actions different than, say, a standard off-the-shelf Tika or Remy? Well, are there design features in these things that suit competition shooting, like more rapid uh, reloading or 
what sort of possibly but again it's one of those things that uh you know a lot of the, the factory off the shelf rifles they're not available as uh as actions only i mean remingtons are from time to time but uh you know, a Tika or a Seiko or, or anything like that, you'd have to buy the whole rifle, strip it down. So again, you, you're basically reworking the, the, the entire thing. You're not, uh, you know, having a an item off the shelf that you can just take and put a barrel on. So I think, uh, I mean, these actions, all the ones in this, this listing that are, are featuring, they're there because they're made really well. They're made accurately. They have features, you know, a lot of them have uh, integral, you know, Picatinny rails, you know, with however many however many minutes of taper and integral recoil lugs and you know a few other features that, you know all the desirable features that you'd want they have you don't have to kind of add to or or um compromise on on features you've got it all there yeah again most factory guns are, are good they have good features but you would have to uh spend a considerable amount of time or money to get them to this standard i think is probably why you don't see them there yep no worries yep yeah there's probably a, a bunch of things that you can do to a factory uh, i think of one of my remingtons that's had a lot of work done to the action itself uh that that the stillers i've got come with all of those features as standard and to be honest at the same price point you, you probably would have bought the stiller to to start with if you were if you knew you were going to do all that work to it Absolutely, yeah. I guess just quickly, what really is surprising for me is given the, you know, the American market is spoiled for choice, you know, with availability and it's, there's so many, com- you know, competitive companies out there that uh, we have such a, like a dominance of, of a couple of makers. Um, you know, I would have, I would have expected it to be spread a little more evenly over maybe half a dozen. Yeah, that's yeah. Probably, probably fair there. You wonder how much uh, some level of sponsorship comes into these guys as well. I don't know. Uh, and also, I know that's true in other competitions that they look at the guys who are winning, what what gear they're running, and often guys will head down that path as well. And there's a fair a fair amount of that. We'll see what the guys are, are winning or working with, and and try and copy that. Trendsetters, absolutely. <laughs> Just like you, Greg. Trendsetters, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, spot on. King of fashion, king of fashion <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Um, now, has anyone else got any news or anything that's relevant? Not, uh, not really relevant. No. No. Okay. no, well, no. One thing I just wanted to to make mention of. I only saw it today. Um, now, a good friend of uh, of uh, mine, I guess, but um, is Aussie Reviews, and I know probably a lot of people who listen to us would watch uh, his stuff. Um, Recently, some of oh, a, a number of TV shows, uh, news from Channel Seven, Channel Nine, have used his footage off YouTube without his permission, and he is actually now going down the line of suing them for that. So, if anyone is interested in supporting him and his campaign on that to make a statement, um, jump over to his YouTube channel and uh, he'll show you how to actually support him. So, I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes as well, as he's made a video about that, and um, you know, he's a type of bloke that does make a stand pretty well, and so mm. it'd be. Uh, uh, good to see him actually do that. So they obviously use that footage in a negative... They have, yeah, yeah. negative connotations, yeah. not something he's happy about, and they mm-hmm. obviously haven't asked permission for it, and they've used it m- multiple times across multiple different shows, and now two channels have done it, so yep. he's not, not wrapped with that, um, as he shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Mm. Excellent. So, Greg, you've done a bunch of research on your new cartridge. Yes. What, 
Yes. Um, just, just do you want to quickly recap where you've come from with, uh, for those who haven't listened to the previous episode, yep. you've got a, yeah, what got, have you got currently? I've got a Remy 700 SPS uh, Varmint um, in 308 short action. And um, I'm, not, I'm not getting the greatest results from it. And I've decided to, to, to upgrade it uh, in terms of rebarreling. Um, I initially was just going to rebarrel in in 308, and uh, I thought no. I'll, I was reading um, some of Brian Litz's stuff on on danger space, and um, yeah, basically he he suggests a good way to compare different calibers and cartridges to suit your particular requirement. So what I did was was sort of work out exactly what I wanted to do, and that was to to pretty much sort of hit gongs at a thousand to sort of 1400 um so what what i did was look at the precision rifle series data that's presented in in um uh the recent precision rifle blog and just looked at their caliber data their muzzle velocity data and and i've just crunched that for for danger space um just to see which caliber slash projectile well firstly what projectile would best suit um my particular application in each cartridge now all all as it varies between the cartridge is is the the average muzzle velocity which i took sure from the um, blog itself but um probably the key point is is i take the two probably most popular uh projectiles um for six mil and the two most popular for 6.5 mil based on the precision rifle blog and i analyze those first Sure. Okay. Yep. So, um, and really, the, as I went through this, it, it became pretty clear what the, the main performers were fairly early, um, just in terms of doing danger space and wind drift uh, with a 10 mile an hour wind. Yes. And yep. you start to see some significant distances or, or differences between the front runner projectile and and the projectile that you know was second most popular and and it's primarily driven out of bc that 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 those differences come from yep um but i guess i'll well do you want me to go into the detail sam or have you got some questions well i'm i'm wondering because because we're going to be able to put this uh this reference chart up on facebook and on the website yep um is it worth narrowing it down a little bit uh, to discuss which which projectile which yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. Now, more. with the target size, although I've got to, I've got to tidy this up a bit because there's some stuff that's wrong here. Um, the the target size I used at each distance was two two MOA at each distance at the given distance. Yeah, yeah. so the, the the actual target size gets bigger as you go out, but it, it's consistent two MOA. Sure. Um, so I based it on that, and um, the first one I looked at was the Lapua. Uh, uh, the six mil. I looked at the lap one hundred and five grain Senna L, yes. which is their new projectile, I believe. And um, yeah, basically, if we just go straight out to, I'll look at a thousand meters. Like the danger space at a thousand meters is thirty five meters for that in a six mil Creedmoor, mm-hmm. which which gave us an average muzzle velocity of three thousand and ninety two based on the blog. Yep. Okay, now. So that's 35 metres that the projectile travels while it's still in the height of the target at 1,000. 
Okay. Right, which yes. is dangerous space. Yes. Um, now, if we drop down to uh, the 105 grain hybrid target from Berger. Yes, that's uh, a comparison. Yep. That's a comparison. That's 43 metres. So you've got an extra eight metres um, of danger space with the hybrid, the 105 hybrid target from Berger over the lap. Yep. So that, you know, the. the and you can see there's a fairly significant difference in, in G7 BC. So the lap's got 0.236 uh, BC, uh, G7 BC, whereas the hybrid is slightly higher in 0.278. So sure, yeah, that so drives that. So The hybrid's going to be better. And looking at the, the data you've got there in terms of wind drift as well, it's significantly different. Yeah, different. so at 10 mile an hour for 1,000 metres, you've got 214.8 inches for the lap. Yes. And that drops down to 169.7 inches for the hybrid. That's pretty uh, pretty clear which way you'd go then, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, you just look at the, um, the danger space, say, with the 105 hybrid projectile at 1,400 metres is the same as the danger space for the 105 Senna at 1,200 you know, yes, it's quite remarkable difference, yeah. really. Yeah, you get an extra two hundred meters uh, so, ballistically. So yeah. then you've you've then compared um, the six mil Creedmoor and the mm. six by forty seven lap against each other, running on that one hundred five hybrid target. Yeah. So um, what I did was I didn't actually do the six by forty seven lap for the lap the the actual uh, one hundred five lap NRL because it was already it clear it. from yeah. the Creedmoor that. It, it wasn't was, going to be the, the yeah, option. Ballistically, yep. it's just not in the same playing field. Uh, but I did do the uh, 105 hybrid target burger for uh, 6 by 47 lap. Now, the average muzzle velocity was 3,073 feet per second. So it was only, you know, 20-ish. What's that, 19? 20. 19, 30 second difference there, yeah. Yeah, so it's very minor, and it's reflected in the results. We um, Yeah, they look pretty similar. Pretty much the same. So if you're just looking at those two cartridge choices against that projectile, they're, they're a very similar choice, and it probably comes down to some some other factors that, sure. that would sway you. One uh, way or the other. One way or the other. How did that then compare to a 6.5? Well, if we go over to 6.5. Yep. And so, so the, here you've compared your 140 grain burger hybrid mm-hmm. against your 139 Lapua Senna. Yep, that's right. They were the two most popular projectiles used uh, in the precision rifle block. Yep. Uh, the the burger has 0.311 G7BC, whereas the 139 uh, Lap Senna has 0.29, so slightly lower. And again, that's reflected in the results. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at. Uh, the 6.5 Creedmoor, and I can't, where is it? Uh, 2,817 feet per second was the average that was used in the Precision Rifle series. Yes. So that's what I used for that, um, for the 6.5 Creedmoor muzzle velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, if we just go straight out to, to 1,400, yep. you can see that the danger space is 22 metres for the lap. Uh, the 139 lap center and 25 for the burger. Tw- 25 for the burger. So slightly ahead, um, but it's probably a little bit more evident in the wind drift. Yeah, I in, can see that. Yeah, in that the the um, the burger has 374.1 inches at 1400 
yes. drift. And the lap has uh, 414.5 inches. So, you know, you're looking at an extra sort of 30, 30, 40, 40 inches of drift at it's 10 mile an hour. What, uh, just looking at these figures, Greg, what uh, surprises me a little bit is if you compare the uh, the danger space of, say, the, the 6 mil Creedmoor or the, the 6 by 47 lap, it's they actually have a larger danger space than the 6.5 variants. Um, you know, the, the 6.5 Creedmoor and the 6.5 by 47 lap at, say, 1,400 metres, you're looking at 22 metres of danger space, whereas the 6 mil variants of those same parent cartridges are 27 metres. Um, yeah. So basically they're shooting flatter. However, you look, that they do have... The 6 mil versions have a little bit more wind drift, which, say, with the 6 mil Creedmoor, it's... Yeah, it's, oh, it's not not if you compare the the burgers against the burgers. Yeah, actually, it's very so similar. It's actually really really yeah, similar within within a few inches at yeah, fourteen hundred yeah. meters. So you effectively, it, it's shooting slightly flatter and effectively the same wind drift. So w- mm. yeah, so they're they're actually between that six and six point five. There's there's not a lot in it. No, no. I mean, uh, it it certainly um, it may err on the six mil slightly. Yeah, no, I yeah. think when when we when we Reflect back on that um, that blog on the different projectiles used. Yes, the one hundred and five hybrid target was massively, massively uh, larger than the one the one forty burger. Okay, so yep. I think because the the BCs are so close t- to each other and such a similar result, you're better off going lower, lighter. To give yourself less recall for follow-up shots and, sure. and those sorts of things, so there's there's the other trade-offs outside of that as yeah. well. And I guess you know, the, I guess it's worth rehashing briefly that uh, you know your intention here is not as a hunting cartridge. Correct. So you know the the energy on target is is not the concern, um, which it would be higher for the, the six point fives, but in this case, it's not one of the figures you're looking at. So it's n- not a factor. So which way are you leaning, Greg? What are you? Yeah, well, you know, I'm a bit, in terms of... You're torn. I am torn. There's there's some minor, you know, in terms of wind drift, probably the 6.5 has a slight edge. Yes. Um, but in danger space, 105 has a slight edge. Well, just, just to clarify that, let's, let's look at a realistic, well, a common distance is going to be the 1,000 metre mark. Mm. And if you're looking at the... Uh, the the drift on let's say the six Creedmoor or six point five Creedmoor, they are point mm. one difference. Yeah, a uh, point one of an inch. So there there is no benefit one way or the other, really, mm. realistically. And if you look at say the six by forty seven or six point five forty seven with those two optimal cartridges at the same distance, the six mil is about three and a half inches better. Mm. Yeah. So very very minor. Um, I mean, just looking at the at the data, I I think you would you would say the um, the six mil variant, whether you go the Creedmoor or the the six by forty seven lap, um, it's probably got the edge. I guess the only mm. negative, which it's probably not necessarily a very big concern, might be slightly reduced barrel life. I mean, the the smaller bore size, it you will get more throat erosion, but. Greg's got plenty of money. He can, he oh, can yeah. buy you know, every, every paycheck's no a fortune. There. That's exactly right. Oh, I mean, it, the reality is it's not like if you were shooting hundreds of rounds every weekend, 
you know, like some of these guys that shoot in their this precision rifle series, they do shoot a lot, but they've also, you know, they're they're doing it professionally or semi professionally, so it's different. But uh, and I think it'd be interesting to to sort of try and review the the real world barrel life. I think it, there's a lot of other factors which you know we can go into again. But uh, yeah, other than that, I would say the six mil for this application is is probably. Looking the goods. Yeah, that's, that's the way yeah. I'm... I, what's happened for me in the last couple of weeks is uh, we've been doing these reviews or these uh, comparisons on the um, the three Southern Shooters with the uh, the 223s. And we're getting towards the end of that. We've still got a few months to go. But at some point, all those guns are probably gonna be going to either be sold. A couple of we kept as 223s and two or three of them will be changed into other calibers. So I'm I'm not far behind you, Greg. Where I'm trying to make a decision on something as well, and uh, one of them I I'm been watching your progress, and I'm thinking a six mil something is probably on the uh, on the cards within these options. Certainly not a not not so mm. um, yeah, and yeah, for a similar purpose, especially with projectile choices like that 105 hybrid target. It's a pretty good performer in terms of BC. So. Mm. Absolutely. It's certainly a good way to go. So which way are you leaning towards, uh, mate? Have I, you made a decision? I guess in terms of projectile, I really like the 105 hybrid target. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the next question for me is 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 all the variables around those different cartridges. Yes. So, you know, I, I haven't... One, one thing, and, and Andrew may be able to explain this better, is when you get on the net and you start to look up 6.5 Creedmoor, yeah, no worries, you can find plenty. But yep. when you look up 6 mil Creedmoor... You can't find anything. So um, I don't know whether either of you guys can put an explanation to that. I think um, the 6.5 Creedmoor and the 6.5 or 47 lap are both factory rounds that you can buy ammo off the shelf, you can buy guns off the shelf, but the 6mm variants of them are are not, um, that you have to basically form your own brass, which it's it's a simple operation, but there's no factory ammunition available for them. So hence, you're not going to find any factory data at all. So would that be just a simple case of buying a 6mm Creedmoor die and just running 308 through it? Is that full-length die? Is it that simple? Uh, running, is that... running the 6.5 parent case through it, you mean? Ah, uh, s- yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, e- either one of those. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've had a fair bit of experience with the 6x47 lap uh, yeah. as a you know varmint gun, mm. and I literally just bought 6.5 brass and, and ran it through the full-length die. Ah, right. Um, and... You know, as long as you've got your reamer cut so that you know your your neck diameter is correct, which is no big deal to do. It's it's as simple as it is. It's it's no nothing complex at all. It's as, it's exactly the same as you would form a you know any any case. You know when you uh, when you size a brand new case to start with. Yep. It's yeah simple. Yep. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. So I guess from that point of view, I, I'm 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 pretty happy with what I'm seeing in terms of the 105 hybrid target. Um, in in the six mil Creedmoor, um, so that's sort of where I'm leaning at the moment. I guess you know I've got to start thinking about barrels. Is um, what what leads you to the Creedmoor over the the forty seven lap? Any any particular reason you prefer that one? Um, actually, I I, I don't have a particular reason. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't. I just I just naturally gravitated towards that. But you're right, the results are the same. I could quite easily go either way. Um and I guess I probably should put a little bit more thought into that before I before I jump. 
So have you guys got any thoughts on the, the differences between the two cartridges? Well, I mean, personally, Greg, if I was in your position, I would build build it on the six point or the six by forty seven lap case. Yep. Um, there's a couple of reasons. One is is you know Lapua brass is is first rate. Yeah. Um, it's expensive, but you know you're probably not going to lose a lot really in what you're doing. Um, two, I'm I'm fairly certain the six point five Creedmoor is uh, is a large rifle primer. Um, yep. And the six by f- or the six point five by forty seven lap case is a small rifle primer. Yep. Um, you know, traditionally, cartridges that are purely accuracy based use a small rifle primer. It's it's less, I guess, aggressive. It's it's less likely to uh, sort of cause you know somewhat unseating of the projectile just from from the primer and that sort of thing. Um, it the the Lapua case sort of has those inherent features. It's a small flash hole, which is it's got a lot in common with cartridges like the six mil PPC, which is you know dominates short range bench rest. Um, not to say that a Creedmoor won't be accurate and could be made to be just as accurate, quite probably. But uh, you know, weighing up all the the probable possible sort of advantages you'll get from uh, going with the Lapua case, that would be what I'd be looking at. Yeah, and there's probably one other thing I was reading also was um, that the Creedmoor case has 10% more capacity than the 6x47. Do you see that as a big showstopper? I know I'm not seeing it as a showstopper in the average muzzle velocities we got from the blog. They're very similar, um, and the maxes are quite similar. No, I mean I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't look at the capacity of the case as being a a feature that uh, is worth sort of really considering as important. I mean, as I said, you look at the the uh, velocities. I'm I'm sure that if you looked at you know the whole spectrum of what people were actually running all their different cartridges at, there would be quite a number that would be running the the Lapua case faster than the Creedmoor. So it, it comes down to a lot more factors, you know, barrel length and rifling type and powder selection and, and so on and so on, and just what the rifle likes. Just because you might be able to run it faster doesn't mean it's going to be the load that you use. So yeah, yep. Personally, I mean, I you know I've said seen my six by forty seven in a varmint gun shoot faster than two four threes with the same projectiles and less powder. So yep, yep. Um, yeah, I don't think the capacity difference in this case is critical at all. Yep. I was going to say I like the Creedmoor more, but I actually haven't got any scientific basis for yeah, that. Yeah, no, just, I like just, the cartridge, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to put my, to my two cents in. There you go. Do, yeah. do a Creedmoor, mate. Actually, no, no, do the 6x47, then I'll do a Creedmoor. Actually, well, that'd be I, interesting to see, actually, how they went against it, each other. It would, but to get a genuine comparison, you would have to build them exactly the same. I mean... Righto, Greg, we're up for a couple of defiance actions, mate. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> I'll get that second job yeah, next perfect. week, all right? Nicely done. So, mm. um... You mentioned before, and and I know that we were we were intending on talking about this, and Andrew, you just touched on it. Uh, barrel is probably the next. If you've chosen a projectile and you're erring towards a, a cartridge, your barrel selection is really your next your next part. We, given we know what the action is. Yeah, I think, and and well, you've got the action nailed down. Um, presuming you've got a cartridge nailed down or very close to it. Um, yeah, I guess it comes down to you know physically what do you, how heavy do you want the gun and. I mean, it, what I've noticed, you, you probably saw it as well, a burger, they list uh, minimum twist rates required for all their projectiles, and then they also list optimal twist rates, which are different. So um, I guess if you're, if you're building this from scratch, you know, you, you've got that advantage of, uh, of doing this, you know, perfectly the way you want it from scratch and not having to kind of 
compromise. So, I mean, uh, you're looking at using, maybe utilising the factory stock you've got, uh, Greg, or is it something um, you're looking at replacing? No, I've already re- replaced the stock. I've got a, a Manners T3 on oh, yep. it at yep. the moment. Yep. Um, and it, it's a very nice stock. Uh, I really enjoy shooting the gun. The gun's very nice to shoot. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd like to utilise that, but I guess the whole mag fee question is going to come along soon enough. Um but for now, I'd like to use that when when I get the barrel done. Yeah. 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 Certainly, a good choice. I think you know that that was uh, going to be one of the sort of factors I was going to ask you about, given that um, you know if you were planning on utilising the factory stock with the factory barrel inlet and that sort of thing, it kind of narrows it down to uh, you know what profile and that you could use. But um, the manner stocks you can you can you know enlarge your barrel channel easily to to suit whatever barrel you want really. So. Yep. It's going to come down to, you know, I guess the overall weight and size of the rifle is going to be um, determined by yeah. sort of personal choice, really. Yeah, no, I'm pretty keen on the heavier um, setups for, for target shooting. Um, and look, I've just jumped on Burger while you were talking there, Andrew, and the actual, for the 105 hybrid target, the optimum twist rate is 78 uh, one twist per seven point eight inches, so pretty close to one in eight. Yeah, I, I think. Do they list one in eight as the minimum? No, one in nine is yeah. the minimum. Yeah, um, with barrels, it, if you if you're going from scratch, if if Berger and this is a projectile you're going to use, um, you can get a barrel that it is exactly what you want. Um, there's basically two main barrel rifling types, you know, button rifled or cut rifled. You know, there's top level barrel makers that, that do both. You know, like there's no sort of standout as far as one method being better than the other. But uh, I guess for for the purpose of this exercise, um, cut rifling allows you to, you know, if you said I want a barrel with a one in seven point eight twist, they can actually make that for you without yep. uh, a lot of issue. A lot of the time with no extra cost. Yep, and and. You know, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'll put it to you anyway. If I don't hit that optimum, what happens? What What's the negative effect of not being around the the optimum? Well, I think if you if you're not not fast enough to stabilise projectile, obviously, um, you know, you, you your projectile won't be stable and your accuracy will suffer dramatically. Um, if you go extreme on the other on the other way and and overspin a projectile. I have seen poor accuracy, um, but generally speaking, I mean, if you the faster the twist rifling you use, you know, the more resistance and the more energy the bullet uses up to to spin it up. Um, you know, a slower twist barrel, if all things are considered equal, will normally be faster, you know, higher velocities. But um, I mean, as long as the bullet is stable. If you were say, I mean, an optimal twist of seven, one in seven point eight. If you were one in eight twist, um, I think you're probably not going to notice any difference, real world. I mean, I, I'm not a, a ballistics expert like you know Brian Litz or anything like that, but um, I think if you were to go, you know, a one in nine point five or nine point eight or something like that, you probably wouldn't be stable. You might be, but you probably wouldn't. So I think. You know, as long as you meet the the minimum requirements that they list, you, you're going to be okay. Mm. Um, 
Burger don't list a huge amount of information about it on their site, but talking about you know getting the maximum performance out of a projectile going with the optimal, I don't really know why they list they list that, but they don't go into detail as to why. Yeah, I think I I, I did. You know, um, I don't know whether you guys saw the blog on Burger where they've revised all their ballistic coefficients. And yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and that had something to do, I don't know, I didn't read it in detail, and it, uh, to be honest, a lot of it went over my head, but it was to do with a new technology and twist rates because I think if if you can achieve, I think, I, how I understand it, if you get close to or achieve your optimum, um, you will maintain that ballistic coefficient, but the further you get from it, you, yep. your ballistic coefficient starts to drop away from that, that advertised number, and you know, as, as you've talked about, that'll probably really hurt you at range. It, uh, you know, as the bullet slows down, you may get tumbling, um, you know, or, or dropping away before it should. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, with Berger, I mean, they seem to be, well, quite probably the most accurate as far as um, their mapping of their ballistic coefficients. You know, so you, you could be fairly sure that if you were to run an optimal twist rate that they list, you're actually... You're going to be able to use their their ballistic coefficient forms that they list and know that they're going to give you spot on results. Whereas if you vary dramatically either way from that optimal, you know it will change. Um, I would guess that if you overspun the projectile, it's going to you're going to have more dra- You know it'll be using up more energy, so quite possibly slow down quicker. Yep. Um, that's just a theory. I don't know there's a lot of basis to it, but. Um, yeah, I mean, going back to actual barrel selection, I've I, I considered this over the, the last couple of weeks, and I think if you're going to, you, you know, pursuing this very analytically and, and going from scratch, um, I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I've, I've used a lot of uh, button rifle barrels, and they're good. They are very good. But if you want to go exactly with, you know, what Berger recommend as, uh, as an optimal twist rate, I think you're probably going to be limited to a cut barrel, cut mm-hmm. rifle barrel. Mm. Um, Krieger lists that they can accommodate anything and I've I've used Krieger before where I've said to them I want a specific twist rate in a specific calibre yep. and they've done it for me with no extra cost yeah okay um, because of the method they use they can set if you want a 1 in 7.85 inch twist they can do it no problem so um, uh, that's really good because yeah. you know when you think a custom twist rate you start to think you know there's, there's the dollar signs start churning over but if they're oh, yeah. doing that as a service that's that's very good. Yeah, I mean it's um, they don't list it. If you look down on a manufacturer like Krieger's website, they list all the calibers and twist rates for those calibers. But they also do talk about custom twist rates, uh, you know, being available most of the time for no extra cost. And it's you know, Krieger we've mentioned, but there are other uh, cut rifled manufacturers you know, predominantly in the US. Um, there's a couple in Europe, but um, so that would. If I was in your situation, I'd probably be looking down that line and then, yeah. you know, looking up availability and, and that sort of thing as where to go next. Yep. Now, I'd, I'd, I'd ideally like to go right on the optimum, but if, if it's cost inhibitive, you know, I'll just go for a, you know, one in eight because it's so close anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I, I guess some other elements too, you know, barrel length. What are your thoughts on barrel length? Sam, what I mean, I, I've got my thoughts on this, but what what do you think? Yeah, I for, guess for this um, application, too, for, by the way, for this application, you you probably well, look. I always try and go the shortest barrel possible. 
because you know, generally that's going to give you more rigidity and is on paper going to be more accurate. But of course, you've always got to weigh that up with how much velocity you're trying to get to keep your transonic range as far away as possible or your optimal as possible for the type of shooting you're doing. The other aspect is is how manoeuvrable the gun is and how much it weighs. And if you're trying to get through, if you if you're shooting from a vehicle and trying to get it in and out of windows and all that sort of gear, mm. smaller can be quite useful. Um, you've also perhaps, to a lesser extent, consider that the the smaller it is, the closer the blast is to you, and therefore it's going to be a bit louder in in terms of the perception. Um, and the lighter the gun is, and the more perceived recoil you're going to have. So, to answer your question, um, I would probably try and go for something that's going to give you your desired velocity as short as possible. That's the way mm. I generally look at it. Yep. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I I normally prefer shorter barrels as well because, you know, there's reasons, you know, in and out of vehicles, mm. you know, spotlighting guns, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, again, I I wouldn't... You say, there's sort of... A, you can go too long, I think. If you go too heavy hanging off a you know your receiver you really then you've got to start to worry about you know putting a lot of undue stress on your action so if you go too long and too heavy on a standard remington for example you know you, you run yourself into trouble there um so then if you go a lighter profile you lose you know mass in your barrel heats up quicker and so on so i mean i think again it might be worth investigating barrel lengths that these guys are using to get these velocities yep. yeah Yep. You know, I would, they're, they're efficient cases. Uh, they don't normally need long barrels to get the velocities. So, you've not got lots and lots of powder that you're trying to burn up. No, uh, and it. using relatively fast burning powders. Mm. You know, in yeah, comparison well. to big magnums, um, I think you probably find somewhere between twenty and twenty four inches is where you probably end up at. I would yep. imagine. Yep. Yeah, uh, and I, I'd probably be looking at like a rem varmint type profile, Sendero type profile. Yep. Um, that's probably where because that's that's a nice sort of balance of a of a full heavy heavy sort of setup um, versus you know a skinny little sporter barrel something something in between is probably going to suit you you don't mind a little bit of extra weight no but um, you 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 certainly don't want to uh, have it I've got a barrel sitting on the bench there which yeah. is a one point two five straight and I have no idea what I'm going to do with it because it's really quite heavy um, and it's thirty two inches as well yeah it's I a mean, car look- axle. <laughs> Well, yep. per- personally, I mean, you've also got a rem varmint profile barrel sitting right next to it this too. This is true. This is you know, true. I if I was you, Greg, I would probably go a little heavier than the rem varmint. Yep. Just, I mean, if you've got a bit more weight, particularly around the the Knox form, which is the the sort of chamber end, mm. a bit more mass in that end of the barrel, you know, it should give you a bit longer. You know, that it would take longer to heat up, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it should give you sort of longer strings of shots while maintaining, you know, your yeah, sort and, of accuracy. And also with that, obviously. Um, Resetting on target with a six mil, and a and the right weight barrel, you should be pretty much on target for follow up, or at least pretty comfortable with your follow through. Oh yeah, I mean if you were to go, you know, somewhere between a truck axle and rem varmint profile, <laughs> um, you know, with maybe a little larger in diameter at the muzzle than a rem varmint, but a little a little heavier around the sort of the the taper um, area with a six mil. You're not going to be, going to be pretty comfortable. Yeah, you, I mean, mm. I mean, if you go down the line of fitting a brake, I don't know whether you look at do that, doing that or not. Um, but I, I think I'll shoot it first. I think um, probably another discussion, isn't it? Yeah, it's really probably another discussion. Yeah. But I, I don't know that I'll need it. Yeah, well, I just I, I did a bit of research recently and, and cut my 300 wind mag down from a 20. 
six inch barrel down to a 20 uh, and put a brake on it and uh, I changed the stock on it and that thing I can I can watch my shots hit at sort of 400 meters and, and beyond quite comfortably um, mm. despite not having a really heavy barrel on there um, but the brake I've got on there's a Lantec and it, it seems to really drop that recoil down as well mm. as a heavy stock. Yeah I mean look a good brake will do that and I think the only reason you would put a brake on a six mil is not to stop it hurting you. It's solely it's to bring you back quicker control. for watching you fall a shot. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I don't think really that's going to be an issue. I mean, you're just mm-hmm. shooting out. Once you get further, maybe than four or 500 metres, you're well and truly going to be back on target. Yeah. Yeah, and easily. if you've got good shooting technique and you, you know, you're loading your bipod right and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you're not going to be bounced right off target. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we certainly will save muzzle brakes for another day. Um, no worries. I'll be good, Greg. You, you feeling you you got some confidence in yeah, where you're going to head yeah, from I'm, now? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at the six by forty-seven lap. And, oh, uh, mine's changed. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going for that for the lap brass. I think. Oh yeah, good call. And um, I might leave the six mil Creedmoor to you, mate, and your right, your thanks, future mate. ventures, and oh, we can we'll we can see. have some fun uh, maybe on future shows comparing some some. Real uh, world results. Real world results. We'll get those the, defiance actions ordered. All right, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll get you down for that. <laughs> uh, um, you don't probably only be about three grand a piece That's at the it. current exchange rate. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus shipping. Um, excellent. So, uh, where, what's your next step in your project? All right. So the the next step is is probably what we talked about in terms of barrel length. I probably need to look at. All right. How long does this barrel need to be to try and hit uh, uh, like optimum? Muzzle velocity or similar sure. muzzle muzzle velocity to what I'm seeing in these, um, in these uh, um, from the blogs. I'm I'm hoping they do a blog on barrels, but I don't know whether they've done that in the past. They will. Yeah. They will. Yeah, Jimmy always so, do. So I may wait for yeah. that and yep. and and take that advice out of that that blog, and we'll talk about it on the show. So Easy. yeah, definitely next is just to identify that barrel. Yep. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll buy that around Christmas, and and we can. Start the process of actually order or buy. You'll, you'll <laughs> order it. You, might, order you it. might get it by next Christmas. Yeah, okay. Yeah, point absolutely. taken. This is a, this could be a long term project, hey? Yeah, for those that don't know, barrels tend to take a long time to arrive, <laughs> especially mm. when you're getting a custom cut um, mm. twist rate. Well, mm. not necessarily, no? Sam. I, okay. Some of the real custom barrels I've had done by Krieger in particular. Um, they are done by John Krieger himself, from what I've been oh, told. Okay. Yeah, right. And they've actually come through in substantially less time than, say, a 30 cal. So, all right, do that. Could, you, we'll you could well come cup. through lucky here. Yeah. Get we'll, something we'll really unusual. Can, can you get a rep from Krieger on the show so that Let's we can talk that. about my barrel and get expediated? <laughs> that may actually go the opposite for you, Greg, if yeah, we get him on the show <laughs> and uh, we'll be that embarrassed. They'll just say, uh, yeah, a couple of years, mate. A couple of years. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, we have a listener question from Dan, and Dan uh, wants to know about. Now, this could actually lead into another show, anyway. But f- but anyway, I'll bring it up now, and if we can answer or give some ideas, it is about. Um, okay, so he, he calls himself a mid-range varmiter, um, sort of small targets, Good uh, foxes, and, and other such things. Uh, majority of his hits on foxes are at six hundred plus, and have been Ooh. successful with a second follow-up shot, a quick follow-up shot. Mm-hmm. He wants to know the experience, if any of us have had it, with cold ball hits or most of our um, shots on game, a, a quick follow-up shot as well. Um, yeah, anyone done much yeah, with that? Well, well, certainly I can understand him having to do a follow-up 
on on a six hundred meter shot because you know the wind at a fox at a fox yeah, it's well, not a big target and and you've got to get your wind call right on the money and I'm yeah. assuming his ranging is is he's got a good range finder and he's ranging accurately. Let's assume so. Yeah, let's assume so. So that's a but tough we, shot. We probably also assume that it's at night. Yes. Would that be so, well? Maybe not. Actually, I think no. I think uh, you that know the longer range shots would probably be probably during, during the, day. the day. Yeah, mm. fair um, call. Yeah, no, certainly for me, I've, I've probably only really uh, sort of hit foxes out to four hundred. So yep. and that's usually a pretty easy cold bore shot. Now six hundred's probably just pushing you know, it that more, bit more further. about the wind. Um, and yeah, I don't have a lot of experience in the wind at that range on fox size targets. So, you know, unless Andrew, you got anything to add? I think um, it's, it's really dependent on where you're shooting and, and knowing the area. Um, mm. Like I've shot in areas where I'd be confident to, to take a cold bore shot on, you know, a rifle that I know well at, you know, beyond that considerably. But then if I went to another property where I didn't know the lay of the land between, where I was shooting from on the target, mm. I, you're really guessing. Yeah, you don't get, know what predominant tough. winds yeah. are going to do. So, yeah. I think I think perhaps you've hit on something there, Andrew, when you said that you're using a rifle that you know well. And I think mm. perhaps that's the gist of Dan's question there, is that it, it's not some... Take the wind out for a moment. It's that cold bore effect where you have a different point of impact on your first shot than perhaps your second. Mm. Yeah, and that's, again, every, every rifle is very different. Um, you know, between a, a cold bore or a cold clean bore yes. and a cold fouled bore. That's, that's where I was heading you know, next. Like a lot of rifles, once you mm. clean them, they do take a few shots, shots to come right back onto your, your genuine zero. But yeah. if you have got if you put a few shots through it, put it away, pull it out when it's cold, but it's mm. been fouled, mm. you know, a, a lot of good rifles, they won't have a, a you know, noticeable change in point of impact. So yeah. Right. So what I'm getting here is, uh, sorry, Dan, we can't answer your question in, in the couple of minutes we have for a question, but we will put it on the agenda at some point for a show and discuss it, particularly um, now those have been listening so far haven't met uh, our Dan here, who hasn't been able to make it for these couple of recordings, but I'm sure he'll be back shortly. And I suspect he's probably had a reasonable amount of experience yes. in that area. Yeah, and uh, I think he's got some sort of some insights through, you know, personal connections with you know, professional shooters, shooters yeah. uh, that you know they rely on this information. So, yeah, I be, think yeah, it'd be I, good to get him back on board. I think when he comes back on, we'll make sure this is one of the um, the top responses. So, uh, so yeah, Dan, thanks for your question. Uh, we will address it in more depth, um, and we'll make make sure there's some uh, some good experience in the room when we do so. Very good. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here and uh, talking about guns for another evening. It's pretty tough. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Greg's going to do some research, and uh, we won't dedicate next episode to his research. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit. Um, and uh, if you've got any questions or any ideas for the uh, for future episodes, let us know what you want us to talk about, and uh, we look forward to uh, discussing those topics. See you, gentlemen. Happy uh, shooting in the next couple of weeks, and we'll uh, we'll see you back for another episode. Thanks no all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by STS Steel Targets, premium shooting targets and accessories.